So what we are doing right now is we are meeting together or gathering together to worship God. Now in these days of COVID-19, it looks differently than it looked just three, four months ago. Because not only are we gathering or meeting here in the same physical space, we have people that are right now joining us online. Now, I would prefer that everybody be in the same physical space. If I got to choose, I, I would rather have everybody together meeting in the same space. But in days of COVID-19, I understand that, that right now that's just not a possibility. That for some people, it, it, it's not advisable for them to come into a public gathering like this. And so I'm thankful for the technology where they can join us online, but in person is better than online. Now, I realize that's my opinion, but I really believe that in person is better. But what are we doing? We're gathering together. So we're either gathering in the same physical space or we have people who are joining us online and we're gathering together as the people of God to worship God, to learn the truths of God, to be encouraged, to be challenged in our faith, to be held accountable. And it's really important for us as followers of Jesus to understand that, that following Jesus and gathering with the people of Jesus go hand in hand. Commitment to Jesus and commitment to the people of Jesus go together. You don't separate them. It's not that we don't follow Jesus as individuals. We do, but we also follow Jesus collectively as the people of Jesus, as the church. And so what we're doing by gathering is important. And it's not that we're gathering so that we can watch a show. It's not that we're gathering so that we can be entertained. It's not that we're gathering so that we can be inspired for the next seven days. We're gathering together as the people of God for the worship of God. And gathering with God's people is an important part of following Jesus. Now I want you to notice a couple of things in our text. There are two truths... And there are three responses that the writer of Hebrews calls for. Now, I say the writer of Hebrews. I better tie my shoe here because I don't want to fall. I say the writer of Hebrews because we don't know who actually authored the book in our Bible called Hebrews. We don't know who authored this text. And it looks very different from other letters that you find in your New Testament. In fact, in some of my reading, uh, one, of the, one of the commentators I was reading referred to it as a sermon. And I think that's probably a fair description. I, I, I don't know if it's specifically uh, best to designate it as a sermon, but I do know that it looks different than, say, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Or Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, both letters. It looks different. We don't know who authored it, but, but there here are two truths that I want us to look at quickly. I want us to look at the truths quickly, and then I want us to focus more on these three responses, giving a little bit more attention to that last response. So here are the two truths that I want us to notice. The first one is this. It's in verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The second truth is this, verse 21, we have a great priest 
over the house of God. Now, in Hebrews, what we, what we discover here is that Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus has presented himself before God in heaven. He has not presented himself in some earthly sanctuary, which is a copy of the true sanctuary in heaven, but rather he has presented himself in the presence of God in heaven itself, and he has offered up himself not repeatedly over and over again the way an earthly high priest would, would offer up sacrifices over and over again, and he hasn't offered the blood of bulls or of goats or of other animals, but rather he's offered himself once and for all, for our sins. And so we have confidence, we have boldness to enter into the presence of God, to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And we have a great high priest over the house of God. Well, let me quickly tell you the responses, and then we're going to look at this more closely. The three responses are these. Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. In verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So first of all, our author in verses 19 through 21 tells us what we have received from God. What we have received from God is confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And what we have received from God is a great priest over the house of God. And then in verses 22 through 25, he tells us how we should respond to God. So he tells us what we've received, what God has gifted to us, and then he tells us how we should respond. So hear the first truth. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What has the blood of Jesus accomplished for us? Now, by blood of Jesus, we're talking about his sacrificial offering of himself. It's referring to the fact that Jesus sacrificed himself. He gave himself. He gave his life. He gave his blood. Well, if you back up one chapter into chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 11, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, notice Jesus is here referred to as high priest, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, so it's not like the tent that Moses and the Israelites constructed in the Old Testament. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the blood of Christ purifies our consciences, cleanses our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we were ransomed, not with silver or gold, but with 
the precious blood of Christ. In the book of Revelation, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. So what has the blood of Jesus accomplished for us? Eternal salvation. The cleansing of our consciences. The ability to serve the living God. Jesus has given Himself. He has died for us. He has given us access into the holy places. That's why He says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new way that He's opened up through the curtain that is through His flesh and so through His body. And so you might imagine, as some do, this this, this curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy holy place in the earthly tent or the earthly tabernacle or the earthly temple. Jesus has opened up access to the Father. He is our great high priest. In fact, he's referred to as a priest, not according to the the, the line of Aaron, in fact, in the Old Testament, all of the priests came from the tribe of Levi. Well, Jesus doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. And he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who is an interesting character that appears in the book of Genesis that Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils to, that he won in battle. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this Melchizedek. Jesus is a high priest. He is our high priest over the house of God. So in light of the fact that through the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to enter the holy places, in light of the fact that Jesus is our great priest over the house of God, in light of these things, here's how we respond. Here's the first one. Because of Jesus, we can draw near to God. Now, I want to point out something that you see in each one of these three responses. Notice the words, let us. You see that in your Bible? Let us draw near. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do you see the the plural or the corporate language, the let us? This is something that we do together. This is something we do collectively. This is something we do as a church. Let us draw near to God. Here's the first one. Now I want you to notice earlier in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now notice what that tells us about our great high priest. Jesus has been tempted as we have been tempted, but unlike us, he's never given in to that temptation. So Jesus, as our great high priest, can sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands what it is to be tempted. But there's an important phrase here yet without sin. 
So verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have a great high priest. He can sympathize with us. He himself is sinless. He's never given in to temptation. But the writer says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 and following, it says this, the former priests... This is contrasting Jesus with the earthly priests, the, the priests who were in the line of, of Aaron, the Levitical priests. He says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that's referring to Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So notice in Hebrews 4 and in Hebrews 7, Jesus is referenced as our high priest, and there's also this talk of drawing near to the throne of grace, drawing near to God. You see, what Jesus has done for us is he's made it possible for us to have access to God. We can actually worship the God of heaven. We can approach the God of heaven with confidence and with boldness, knowing that because of Jesus, his blood given for us, we can draw near to God. I can draw near to God individually, and I should draw near to God individually daily, but we collectively, the people of God, we can draw near to God. Let us draw near. Look at it more closely, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, let's draw near as those who have been cleansed. Let's draw near as those who have been set free, who have been made new. Let us draw near to God. Because of Jesus, we can do this. Church, because of Jesus, we can gather and we can worship and we can draw near to God. This is active. This is ongoing. This is corporate. It's not one-time action. This isn't a one-time thing where we draw near to God and that's it. And then we don't do it again. No, it's, it's continual. It's ongoing. It's daily, it's individual, and it's corporate. Specifically, it's, it's corporate here. He says, let us do this. He's talking to the church collectively, and yes, that certainly would involve me individually drawing near to God on my own, but it also would include us drawing near to God together collectively. We draw near to God through Scripture. How do I draw near to God? Through Scripture. What is Scripture? Scripture is God's revelation of Himself to us. Paul told Timothy that all Scripture was God-breathed and was given that we might be equipped for every good work. Scripture is God's communication to us. God has revealed Himself in the pages of Scripture. And so we draw near to God through Scripture. We draw near to God when we read Hebrews. 
we draw near to God when we pray. So God speaks to us through Scripture. We speak to God through prayer. When we pray to God and we, we acknowledge our sinfulness, we, we confess our sinfulness. When we pray to God and we adore God and we praise God and we worship God. When we pray to God and we ask for God's help, we, we, we petition God to answer the prayers that we are bringing to Him. When we intercede on behalf of others and we ask God to work in the lives of others. We draw near to God through praise. As we lift up our voices and we lift up our souls to the Lord. So he says, draw near to the Lord. The second response is this. Because of Jesus, we can hold on to hope. So the first thing, because of Jesus, we can draw near to God. The second, because of Jesus, we can hold on to hope. To our hope, specifically, look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Now, sometimes we may put our hope in all kinds of other things that we shouldn't put our hope in. Maybe we put our hope in a person other than the person of Jesus. Right? Maybe our hope is in, is in a spouse, or our hope is in a child, or our hope is in a leader, or our hope is in a politician. Or maybe our hope is in our financial security. Maybe our hope is in our possessions. Well, all of those kinds of things are the wrong places to put your hope. Right? I mean, hoping that your guy gets elected in November, that's, that's the wrong place to put your hope. Hoping that the financial markets move in a certain direction and hoping that your holdings improve is the wrong place to put your hope. Our hope is in Christ. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Our hope is in the truth of the gospel. Church, we don't just need the gospel as in the past. We didn't just need it back then. We need it now and we need it every day. Our hope is in the truths of our faith. And no matter what's happening around us, right? No, no matter how threatening a virus might be, right? No, no matter how heightened racial tensions might be, no matter how uncertain your job security might be, no matter what's going on with your health condition right now, no matter what's happening in your marriage right now. No matter what, our hope is in Christ. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. My wife ordered a piece of art that's on the wall. And that piece of art has got a white background. And it's just got some script. So it's not like a piece of artwork you'd see in a museum. It's not like a famous piece of art. But it's a very nice script of Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. And the truth of Lamentations 3, 22 and 
23 is so much more incredible than, 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 than what you might see on a wall. But let me read it for you. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's steadfast love never runs out. His mercies, they don't ever come to an end. Every morning they're new. His faithfulness is great. And so here our author is saying to us, Listen, respond to the reality that you have access to God through the blood of Jesus. Respond to the fact that you have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus. Respond by holding, holding on tightly to your hope without wavering. Because God is faithful. He's faithful. But I want you to notice the third response. So we draw near to God. We hold on to our hope. But I want you to notice the third thing. Because of Jesus, we can encourage each other. Verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, let me read verse 24 from the NIV. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let me now read it from the Christian Standard Bible. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works and then finally from the new living translation let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works in other words let, let, let's let's give some thought let's give some brain power to to considering how it is that we collectively as god's people as the people of jesus how we can motivate each other and encourage each other and challenge each other and, and spur one another on to loving actions and good works. How can we encourage that in each other? And we've already talked about the importance of love. In fact, the past three weeks, we've talked about how important love is, that love is a non-negotiable. If you are a follower of Jesus, love is a non-negotiable. It's essential. It's essential that we love God and we love people. Specifically that we love our enemies. Specifically that we love one another within the church. We love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, when it says here at verse 19, therefore brothers, it's not just the males in the church. Your translation may actually say brothers and sisters. It's the males and the females. It's the, the men and the women. We love one another. So we've already seen how important love is. We've already seen that love is essential in the life of a follower of Jesus. But how do we do this? How do we motivate each other to love? How do we encourage each other to act lovingly? We very likely need regular reminders to do this. Because it doesn't always come as a natural response. 
right? We naturally love those who love us. We naturally do good to those who do good to us. Just go back to Luke chapter 6. Right? We naturally do that. We love those who love us. We do good to those who do good to us. We care for those who care for us. That's, that's natural. That's normal. That's what people do. What doesn't come naturally, what isn't the, the, the kind of re- response that we might have is to love those who don't love us and to do good to those who don't do good to us. And so we likely need some reminders regularly to love those who aren't loving us. But he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, I think that this probably is expressed in the church for the most part as, as, as I think this continues. But, but I, don't, I don't want to limit it to that because I don't think it's just what's happening in the church. I don't think it's just that we stir up one another to loving good works in the context of the church or in the context of the family of God because we're, we're also to, to be the church outside of, the, of a physical structure that we gather in because we all know, hopefully, that this building is not the church. We, the people of God, are the church. This building is where we gather. This building is where we assemble. But when we are no longer gathered and instead we're scattered back into our community and back into our workplaces, we're still supposed to be people of love and good works. So we need regular reminders. We need encouragements. We need to consider how can we spur one another on to love and good works. There's all kinds of conversations that people are having today and maybe you're having them. And those conversations can very quickly turn hostile. Have you had any conversations turn hostile lately? Or maybe they turn divisive. Or maybe you don't get very far into the conversation before you realize that the person you're talking to has a very, very different view than you have. Just talk about masks, for instance. Right? People have some strong opinions about masks, don't they? Talk about racial tensions. Talk about systemic racism. And it won't take you long to discover that there's some very strong and very different views that exist in our world and we even even within our church even within this church family you're going to find people who have different perspectives on masks and you're going to find people who have different perspectives on on systemic racism and you're going to find people who have different perspectives on president trump and any one of these topics can result in division and hostilities and anger Well, church, let's consider how can we motivate one another to loving actions, loving responses, even with those that we disagree with. Outside of our church and inside of our church, how can we motivate one another to love those within our church family with whom we may have disagreements? Let us consider, let us think about how we can do this. So so how do we do this? Well, well, let me also say before I move on too quickly, love and good works. So, So love and good works go together. Good works are a necessary byproduct of your salvation in Christ. 
So if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus who died on a cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, good works are the byproduct of the salvation that Jesus has brought about in your life. The good works don't result in your salvation. Your salvation results in the good works. Read Ephesians 2.10. Read the second half of James chapter 2. So how do we encourage each other to love and good works? Well, let me first of all show you, according to verse 25, how we don't do it. Look at verse 25. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of, of some or the Christian Standard Bible says not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing so evidently this author is writing to a group of believers where some have not been meeting together they haven't been gathering together and so when he says let's consider how we can how we can stir up one another to love and good works, he then follows it up with a negative, how not to do it, not neglecting to meet together, not staying away from the assembly of the people of God, but, look at the second half of verse 25, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, so notice the contrast to neglecting to meet together is here balanced with or contrasted with encouraging each other so meeting or gathering together provides us the opportunity to encourage one another encouragement here is personal it's relational it's face to face it's person to person it's us in the same physical space not neglecting to gather together not neglecting to come together Now, sometimes I get a text message from someone in our church family that encourages me. Sometimes I get a phone call from someone that encourages me. I, I may get a card from someone that encourages me. Someone sends me an email that encourages me. Have you ever gotten one of those, an encouraging text or phone call or, or an encouraging letter? Have you ever gotten one of those? We can encourage each other through those mediums. We can do it. But it's not the same as person-to-person, face-to-face interaction. It's great to get those texts, those emails, those phone calls. It's great. But here when he's talking about encouraging one another, notice he says not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing but rather encouraging each other, and he's talking about together in the same space. Now, I realize that the threat of coronavirus has given us the opportunity to experiment with not gathering together for a period of time. And for, I guess, 10 Sundays, 10 Sundays, we did not meet in the same physical space. And I realize that right now we've got people who are joining us online who, who are still not meeting with us in the same physical space. And, and that's fine. They may be a part of the high-risk population to contract this virus. They may be concerned, and that's fine. We are glad that they can still join us online. 
But I can tell you from my experience of, of not being able to gather, I would much rather meet with my small group in my garage than meet with my small group on Zoom. Now, my small group met on Zoom, but here recently we've been gathering in my garage with the garage doors open. I much prefer getting together in the same physical space. And can I say, I much rather enjoy being here with you, looking at you, gathered with you, being able to talk with you here on Sunday mornings than looking at a camera on Sunday mornings. Technology's great. But just imagine if your marriage, your relationship with your spouse, took place entirely in virtual space. Just imagine that. What if you didn't live with your spouse? And, and, and the sum total of your relationship with your spouse was one in which you had some FaceTime calls, or you Skyped, or you Zoomed, you sent some text messages, I mean, just imagine your marriage. I mean, how, how would your marriage be if that was, the, that was the extent of your marriage relationship, that it was completely a virtual relationship? You guys up for that? You couldn't really share a meal together. I guess you could get your plate of food and, 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 and your, your spouse could get their plate of food and you guys could both eat at the same time, but you couldn't eat at the same table. You wouldn't be in the same room. You wouldn't be in the same house. You wouldn't be in the same restaurant. You couldn't hold hands. You, you, you couldn't kiss. I mean, there's a lot of things you, you couldn't do. I mean, could you imagine your marriage relationship happening in that way? In the same way, what if our relationship with the church is simply... An online relationship. Now I realize with the threat of a virus right now, that may just have to be how it is for some people. And so we have to kind of take a step up and we have to maybe make more phone calls or, or, or maybe send more messages or try to connect. But here the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, I, I want you to make sure church, I want you to, to, to be careful to give some thought and to some consideration to how you can motivate each other to love and good works, not, not neglecting to gather together as some people are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now in my translation, the word day has a capital D. So that's the translator's trying to help me out to understand this isn't just another day, this is a big day. Your translation may not have a capital D, but, but as it says here, as you see the day drawing near, we're talking about the, the future coming of Christ. As you see the future coming of Christ arriving, as you anticipate that Jesus, our great high priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ who entered into heaven itself and presented himself once for all time, as you consider Jesus, our great high priest, and the fact that the day is drawing near and he is going to return, all the more encourage one another. Anybody ever get down? Ever get a little sad? You ever have moments or days of sadness? 
We need encouragement. Right? We need to be reminded of where our hope is. Because sometimes we, we forget. Sometimes we get so consumed with, the, with what's happening in our little world. And sometimes we just need somebody to wake us up. Right? We, we truly need each other within the church. This church thing was God's idea. And again, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a physical structure. I'm talking about the people of God, the relational connection of disciples of Jesus in each other's lives. Drawing near to God together. Holding on to our hope together. Encouraging one another together. To loving actions. To good works. That's why we gather. We gather to draw near to God. To worship Him. To praise the triune God from whom all blessings flow. To sing. To draw near to Him through His Word. We gather to hold on to our hope. To be reminded of the gospel. To encourage each other. So church, let's keep showing up. Let's keep showing up. Church, if we're following Jesus and we're committed to Jesus, then we are committed to the people of Jesus. We don't separate our commitment to Jesus from our commitment to the people of Jesus. We understand as followers of Christ that to follow Jesus is to be involved in, to be participating in the life of His church. To love Jesus is to love His church. So let's keep showing up. Let's keep showing up in each other's lives and let's keep drawing near to God together. Let's keep holding on to our hope in the gospel together without wavering because our God is faithful. Let's keep giving thought to how we can encourage each other. How can I encourage you? How can you encourage me? How can we collectively do the loving actions and the good works that God has called us to how can we love our enemies as we love ourselves how can we love our neighbors as we love ourselves how can we love one another in the church let's respond as God leads us today